As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to the Total Soccer Show. My name is Taylor Rockwell, and on this, the first Americans in Action episode of the new season, I'm excited to talk about some of the many, many exciting young Americans doing the soccer around the world. To do so, I'm joined by two gentlemen up first, currently recording from a state that features between 1 and 1,000 lakes. It's Joe Lowry. Joe, have you seen any lakes or any all-stars at time of recording? <laughs> I have, in fact, seen a lake before, yes, and I have okay. even seen a lake in Minnesota before. I have not seen any All-Stars yet other than the pictures at the airport that they do have up with the MLS All-Star branding. I just got to my hotel a little bit ago. I'm checking out the Skill Challenge later tonight and then the, the actual All-Star game tomorrow. So by then, Taylor, I will have seen at least one MLS All-Star. Is there a player or players that you are most excited to get to see? Oh, I, I was honestly, this sounds so nerdy and, and sad. I was excited about seeing Lorenzo Insigne at the mm-hmm. skills challenge, and he is no longer doing that because I read that there's some sort of family medical situation in Toronto, so hopefully that gets all sorted out. I'm actually excited about seeing Brendan Vasquez in person. He's he's going to be in the skills challenge, and he's going to be in the All-Star game. He was a late addition to both, but certainly a deserving one, at least for the All-Star game. This guy's banging in goals left and right for FC Cincinnati. I'm looking forward to seeing him, and it just, I mean, there's so much quality. MLS is still the league of the number 10s, so that'll be a feature of both tonight on Tuesday and Wednesday, and there's plenty of quality with those players. Your, your, your favorite, Joe. You might get to uh, to speak to him, Brandon Vasquez, Man Crush Monday. Oh, wait, it's Tuesday. <laughs> Damn it. That joke was so much better when I thought it was Monday. <laughs> Graham, you were this close. You were this close. (laughs) So close. Swing and a miss. (laughs) Uh, And that voice you just heard, Joe, is in the land of a thousand lakes from the land of a thousand meat pies, also known as his house in Scotland. It's Graham Ruthven. Hi, Graham. Any pies on the menu today? The land of a thousand meat pies is just my house. That's That's what I'm saying. (laughs) (laughs) I thought you meant Scotland as a whole. No, that's that's just my home address, land of a thousand meat pies. I'm doing very well, Taylor. How are you? I, I'm well. So no, none on the menu today, though. Like, do you have to give yourself a break? Do you, do you schedule them? Do you space them out so you don't get sick of them? Or is that not a yeah. possibility for you? Well, only one day in a week can you have a meat pie for every meal. And every other day, it's just breakfast. So it's it's dinner time where I am. So I have to wait until tomorrow morning for my, my uh, staple mutton and pastry. 
Joe, I, I, I get can't a transfer tell to Graham's house. Yeah. I, yeah, I can't tell either, which is the, the beautiful part. I wanna <laughs> I, I would trade the land of a thousand lakes. I love Minnesota. It's it's beautiful, quite nice, especially in the summer. But man, I, I would trade that for meat pies in a heartbeat. I will trade like a like I know I made a Parks and Rec reference last week, but Andy's character in Parks and Rec when he trades for all the lions in the model <laughs> UN, I would trade all of Minnesota's lakes for all of Graham's meat pies. I think that's I feel, a brilliant move. I feel like Minnesota surely has some good meat pies. Oh, of course. It feels, it feels like a sort of a meat pie state, doesn't it, Minnesota? Any like, any I, cold state has to have some really quality meat yeah. pies. That's just the rule. I'm I'm willing to bet that if you head up to the the, the brew hall at Allianz Stadium at the All Star Game, Joe, they'll they'll have some sort of meat pie there on offer. I'm willing to bet. I will check it out and I will report back to you. Please, because do. if there isn't one now, I'm going to be sad. That's just how this goes. I regret my introduction. Uh, this has been the Total Meat Pie Show. Let's do the Total Soccer Show thing on today's episode. If you're new to the show, uh, we've landed on a semi-structure for the week. Uh, weekend review is Monday. I'll get to Tuesday in a second. Wednesday or Thursday is listener questions. And then Friday used to be allocation disorder until they took their talents to their own feed, leaving us as relative empty nesters. But we aren't leaving their bedroom, a.k.a. Friday's vacant. We are going to do a little bit of uh, changing round. We're going to add something new. Is that fair to say, Graham? Yes, absolutely. We're going to have a, a podcast on a Friday, which is going to look at a, a single story. It could be something that is in the news that week, or it could be so, just something that we, as, as a force, want to, want to talk about. So yeah. I think this week we're going to talk about Chelsea mm-hmm. and their new owner and ownership structure and what's going on there. Because yes, we have we have spoken about it um, over the summer, Todd Bowley taking over from, from Roman Abramovich, but it feels like we've maybe not gone into as, as much depth as, as we could have. And so that's what we're going to do this week. And that is kind of sets out the stall for this show. It's, it's a little bit more time for us to go a little bit deeper into stories that hopefully listeners care about. Yeah, because it's, it's a regular thing in the chat and uh, pre and post recording of like, have we talked about that major thing yet? Well, we mentioned it sort of in a lister question or when we talked about that one game that happened, but I think we wanted to have a little bit of of an opportunity to basically, yeah, delve deeper, as you said, Graham. So that'll be Fridays. We always have the variable Wednesday or Thursday show, but then Tuesdays is when we focus on the many Americans playing abroad and at home. Today, even though the season has already kicked off for a few folks, we'll be setting the stage for the season to come. Who made a move to a new club? Who could be poised for a breakout year? Who should be worried about their present status and much, much more? Let's start it uh, by getting to two Americans who switched clubs this summer. Tyler Adams from Leipzig to Leeds, Brendan Aronson from Salzburg to Leeds. Both started their season opener this weekend. uh, And the international cabal of anti-American statisticians refuses to give Aronson credit for heroically and (laughs) single-handedly scoring the win. Uh, Joe, I might slightly be misrepresenting that one. We nah. talked a little bit about this game in the weekend review. You have not yet had a chance to uh, praise and be excited about Leeds, so I will give you that opportunity now. Yeah, it's a great win for Jesse Marsh. I mean, we're going to have our eyes very closely glued to Leeds this season because there are so many different American angles. You have Jesse Marsh and Bruno Lage getting into it on the sideline yeah. afterwards, and I listened to Weekend Review, and, and Taylor, your speculation as far as what that conversation might have been about, and Graham, you really wanting to know what it's about, I'm right there with both of you. That's a fun storyline. Then you have Tyler Adams just kind of blending in and doing the dirty work right. in central midfield, and Brendan Aronson getting a start out on the right side of a 4-2-3-1 and looking excellent. I thought he was a really influential player for them in this game. There's a lot to like about Leeds, and, and like I said, a really important win for them, because it's not as if this is a, a guaranteed 
successful season. There's a lot that they're going to have to fight for. They don't have a talent advantage against a lot of other teams in the Premier League. So starting off with a win against a, a team in Wolves, I would argue is in a relatively similar tier. If we were going to separate the Premier League up into maybe, I don't know, four or five different tiers, I would wager that Leeds and, and Wolves are in a similar grouping there. It's a good win against a, a team that you kind of need to pick up points against in the Premier League if you want to set, set some distance between yourself and the bottom three. Yeah, and in terms of the two Americans, in terms of Adams and, and Aronson, I, I personally don't think it could have gone much better for them in that it was a performance that very much showed what both players are all about. There's no kind of second guessing of what they're going to offer Leeds. I think it was on it was on show. There was, this was a demonstration of what Adams and Aronson offer Leeds. So I've seen a lot of excitement in particular around Aronson from, from Leeds fans. That was there before this match. He I think he registered three assists in Leeds' final preseason game. So there was a lot of pressure, and that is the thing that makes me slightly nervous, particularly about Aronson at Leeds United, is the amount of pressure that, that's on him as a 21-year-old because he has been brought in as the Rafinha replacement, and that's the same Rafinha who was Leeds' top goalscorer in the Premier League last season from the right wing and then got a, a £50 million move to Barcelona. So it would maybe be unrealistic to expect Aronson to, to fill that void, yeah. at least immediately, at least this season. But he is at a club that does seem to be not necessarily built around him because obviously he's, he's an attacker on, on predominantly on the right side and you don't really build around those players. But he, he's at a team that's going to play to his strengths and he's playing for a manager who clearly knows what he can do what he can do, and, and believes in him. So a lot of things are in, are in favour of both Adams and Aronson at Leeds. Well, and, and Graham, sorry, I'll, I would even add on top of that, I don't think people should be talking about Aronson as the Rafinha replacement. To me, it, it's a group effort between Aronson and Luis Sinistera, who they brought in from, from the Eredivisie with Feyenoord, who scored 12 goals last season. That's a, a higher goals tally than I think Aronson has ever had in his career. And he's also a, a little bit of an older player with some more experience over in, in Europe at a decent level. So I think there is pressure on Aronson, and I read the, the similar things. We had Cameron Meyer write a piece for Backheeled about you know how different Americans performed this weekend. And he was talking about how different leads folks on Twitter were posting about how Aronson is going to be the player of the season. And there is very clearly pressure around Aronson. But I just hope we get to the point where him not scoring 12 goals in a season, or, or however many Rafinha had last year, I think it might have been 11, not scoring that many shouldn't be considered a failure. I think he brings so much value in other phases. And we saw all of that value and then the offensive impact as well over the weekend. And that's a great thing. Yeah, for me, at, at the very least, we saw the immediate confidence and the immediate like sort of self-backing yeah. to carry the ball, to take people on, to try things, to demand the ball in attacking positions. It wasn't a sort of passive per- performance, but Absolutely, I agree with, yeah. with, I believe, Graham in that he kind of they, he blended in pretty well to that attack and seemed like he was kind of uh, comfortable with it. It's almost like he's pre- played in high-pressing attacking styles before. Yeah, and and that's the thing. Leeds United have targeted Aronson for a long time, even before Jesse Marsh was their, their their manager. And I think it shows the evolution that Leeds have planned in their style of play for maybe a a year and a half. Is that they were going to become this this slightly different team? They were going to move on from from Bielsa Ball, and we saw lots of of that in Aronson's performance. The the energy, the buzzing around the pitch, the the pressing high, the hassling opponents, and. And on the ball as well, he was very valuable to how Leeds were starting counter-attacks. And obviously there's the goal that is definitely his goal and definitely not an own goal. Yep, but actually more impressive than that 
was the counter pressing for the well I thought it was more impressing impressive was the the counter pressing for the the Leeds equalizer where Leeds lose the ball in the Wolves box but Aronson is just instantly on Altnauri and he wins the ball back and then Rodrigo scores and and that is a quality that's just going to be so important for Marsh at Leeds because that's very much a, a Red Bull soccer quality and I found a stat being circulated by some of those lead social accounts that were that were glowing about Brendan Aronson and maybe adding a little bit to that pressure. But the stat was that he, he applied pressure to opposing players receiving, carrying or releasing the ball 31 times. And that, that was more than any other Premier League player in the first round of fixture. So that kind of tells you a lot about why he's been added to this Leeds team. And you said, Taylor, it was a performance he didn't hide away. I don't want to sound like Brendan Rodgers here, but character was kind of just a word that that sprung to mind even in his in his post-match interview was interviewed by either sky or bbc i can't remember which one it was it just seems like a very confident young man who's very comfortable in his in his new surroundings so all all the signs are pretty positive there it was really weird in those post-match interviews to see to see an american manager with an american accent and then the american player with an american accent that wasn't that surprising just that it's two americans in there he did absolutely have that sort of like yeah it's my goal i should get credit for it i don't know what they're gonna do with it but yeah hopefully they do like he had a little bit of banter there so i enjoyed brendan aronson both in that interview and then overall in his performance i also enjoyed tyler adams doing tyler adams things including getting that yellow card at the very end of the game just because that feels like a thing that he will be that will be needed I think he'll have to be a little bit more physical maybe than he was in the Bundesliga and I think he'll be have to be okay with that and I think some of that fire and some of that intensity and the ability to feed off the crowd and then help feed that crowd at the same time will be important for Leeds staying up and having a strong season Brian Charetta wrote this about Tyler Adams I'm inclined to agree he said, quote, Tyler Adams is going to be a good fit in the Premier League. He has the motor. He can help uh, keep the ball, and he can quickly get the ball into the attack. When you combine it with a manager who believes in him, it makes for a very good combination, end quote. Joe, I was a little bit nervous about Tyler Adams going to Leeds, mostly because there was the fear of the relegation battle and what happens if things go wrong there. But like that aside, and even maybe that included, it does seem like Tyler Adams has put himself in a position where as long as Marsh is there, he's got a manager who likes him. He's going to get a lot of reps. It seems like he is in one of the best positions for, for an American with the World Cup looming. Would you agree or disagree with that assertion? Well, it totally depends on how you define best situations, mm-hmm. right? If we're talking about relative stability, where he's going to be first choice in that double pivot, which he will be when he's going to be able to get consistent minutes and, and going to be able to contribute to a team that totally fits his style and he fits theirs. Yeah, I mean, this this position at Leeds makes perfect sense for Tyler Adams, assuming he stays healthy, which is a, a pretty big assumption there, given what we know about Tyler Adams. My issue with this move has always been, though, that it doesn't feel like it's a step up for Tyler Adams. It feels like it's two or three or four steps down from a Champions League club with a ton of money in the Bundesliga that that has ambition to challenge for titles, even though that is not really realistic for RB Leipzig right now and probably won't be anytime soon either. You know, that that's always been my problem with this move. It's not that Tyler Adams doesn't fit at Leeds. He does. It's not that he won't be good at Leeds. He will. And it's not that that isn't a productive place for him to help a team win soccer games. But my just my concern with this move is that it feels like a step or two or more backwards from where he was at Leipzig. In terms of stability before the World Cup, Yeah, it's fine. Again, I was kind of advocating for him to stay at Leipzig just because I knew it was likely that he wouldn't play as much. And with players like Adams and Pulisic, 
and and even McKenney, we've already seen one of those three players deal with an injury, and McKenney will will likely be out for the start of the Serie A season with a shoulder injury. Pulisic and Adams get injured all the time as well. That's why I was hoping that he would stay at Leipzig and then find a move after hopefully a good performance at the World Cup. But I mean, there are parts of this move to like. The stability it provides could be valuable. But it's hard for me to get excited about this transfer. Once we kind of get out of August and get into a little deeper into the Premier League season, I mean, we can set the move aside and, and we can even do that now because it's already happened. So it doesn't really matter about you know what I what I think about the fit or not. It just kind of matters how well Tyler Adams is playing. And Taylor, I totally agree with you. I thought he played well in this game. He had some nice progressive passes. He was tracking back. He was everywhere defense, defensively covering for his fullbacks, he was doing a whole bunch of really valuable stuff, and it looked like a pretty vintage Tyler Adams performance out there, even including that that yellow card in stoppage time. Joe sort of inferring that Leeds is a small club, uh, for me as a Man United fan, is a moment of happiness in a week that has not, not been very Not fun. saying so they're a small that, club. Joe. Not saying they're a small club, just <laughs> very much yeah. down the, the ladder from Leipzig. Yeah, and in fairness, he didn't, he didn't say a small club, but I, I do... It's not necessarily that I disagree with Joe. I think a couple seasons ago, I, I would have been on the same page as Joe. Leeds would have been a, a step down. Well, Leeds two seasons ago in the championship. But let's just say they were in the Premier League. But things kind of changed for Adams at Leipzig last season where he wasn't playing. And I know you referenced that, Joe. But again, I, I just come from the slightly other the, the other side of things. And you, I think I asked you about Pulisic. Was that last week? And you said something similar, like you would you would rather that basically Chelsea wrapped him in cotton wool. Yeah, yeah. That that is that that response surprised me just a little bit because I I come at, come at it from the other side where I would want Pulisic to be getting game time, so he's so he's in form and he's sharp for the tournament. And it's similar with Adams. I personally would rather let's put the discussion about whether it's a step down or not to the side because I, I don't really have an answer for that. But if if he's playing for Ad, for Leeds and and playing well and playing the Premier League and he's getting game time, I think I would prefer that to him being wrapped in cotton wool at, at Leipzig, where even if he's not got a physical injury, he might be coming into that World uh, World Cup cold, and either he picks up an injury in the World Cup or he's just it just takes him a couple games to find his form. I would rather, and I understand what you're saying because injury is a risk, and Pulisic and Adams are, are injury prone, but I, I just think I would rather take that risk and and have an informed Tyler Adams ready for the World Cup. Would you do you think Graham is Christian Pulisic or Chris Richards at this point in a better position? Uh, we should mention Chris Richards didn't play for Crystal Palace in, in their opener. We would assume we'll get some minutes at some point. Pulisic comes mm. on as a substitute for Chelsea. I think Pulisic much more likely to get minutes for Chelsea more regularly. But it still seems like neither of them it is in is in be as strong as of a position as we would like. Except for Joe, who wants them. I'm guessing both <laughs> wrapped up in cotton wool, just practicing <laughs> passing the whole time. Yeah, Joe wants them in uh, airtight pods somewhere on the on the training ground. <laughs> Joe's floating the above the city, floating above the city with my <laughs> yeah. stadium. That's where I want them. Joe's now advocating for like cryogenic freezing and stasis, and we're just going <laughs> to keep them on ice until the World Cup comes around. <laughs> then we can unfreeze them, and they'll be good to go. Yeah, I mean, who says no? That sounds like a, a good plan. It kind of does. Hey. <laughs> like, yeah. We're getting Richards into philosophy here of like does. If you're in, if you're frozen in in the best form you're in, if you wake up a year later, are you still in that good a form? I feel like you would be. So, yeah. I, maybe maybe we've stumbled upon something. Joe, can you get on that science, please? I'm on it. Too. Don't <laughs> worry about it. What's what's FBA. the thing that Han Solo gets frozen in? There's currently Star Carbonite. Wars fans listening to this. Yeah, sh- yeah Carbonite. And, and everyone has to do the frozen Han Solo face, the kind yeah. of <laughs> anguish face of as they're getting frozen. Yeah. 
I would, I'd be interested to see who, who does the best frozen Han Solo and Carbonite face out of the USMNT squad. This conversation took a turn. I mean, between the, Richards, who- between the meat pies and the Carbonite, yeah, I think we've got off the rails twice now. Let's see how many more we can do. Uh, but yeah, let's get back. Pulisic or Richards, Graham? Difficult one to answer because mm-hmm. I think Pulisic is in a, in a better position in that he can probably sit on the Chelsea bench and to a certain extent be pretty sure of his place in the USMNT yeah, side for, for the for the World Cup, whereas Richards kind of has more of a, a point to prove. And obviously there's been the injury to Miles Robinson. Maybe he comes in as the replacement there as the partner alongside uh, Walker Zimmerman. But it feels like he has more to prove to Berhalter at this, at this point. And in a lot of ways, in a lot of ways, I do like Chris Richards' move to Crystal Palace. Obviously, it's it's a it's a Premier League club, and I think he's going to be facing a higher level of attacking quality at Palace than than he did at Hoffenheim. It's a team that likes to play a tactical, uh, sorry, not tactical, tactical, a technical game. Palace like to b- bring the ball out from the back, and and that's been a big change under Patrick Vieira. So that's probably good news for the USMNT. But the bad news is I can't really envisage Richards breaking up Palace's current centre-back pairing of uh, Joachim Anderson and Mark Gay anytime soon, at least without injuries or suspensions. And, and Anderson in particular is just so important to the way Palace play. He Against Arsenal, if anyone watched that game on opening weekend, Anderson was playing these long diagonal passes and, and that's kind of a big part of how Palace get out from the back. Maybe Richards can do that, but I, I'm not convinced he can do it as well as, as Anderson. So the position that actually I, I can see Richards eventually making or at least getting some game time at, at Crystal Palace and is, is actually right back. It's not a position he played for Hoffenheim last season, but he, that was partly down to them playing a back three. And Richards did play a few games on the right side of that back three. And and right back is a clear weakness for Palace. They've got Joe Ward and Nathaniel Klein there. They're both over the age of 30. I wouldn't say either have been particularly impressive over the last couple of seasons. So it wouldn't surprise me to see Richards play at least some matches there. I think Vieira, Vieira generally sees a, a very versatile player who can play in pretty much every position across that back line in the, def- the defence. And he he technically, he will be a good fit for Palace. But then obviously the problem for the US becomes right back's not really a position that the US needs Chris Richards to impress in, unless Dest, I guess, is moving to left back. There's an injury to Robinson there. But that's, that's largely a contingency pl- plan. So... It's a strange move for Richards. As I say, there are, there are pros, but there are also a lot of cons. Uh, Joe, for you, we've got Adams frozen in carbonite. We've got Pulisic frozen in carbonite. Would Richards also be frozen, or are you okay with him staying unfrozen to get more minutes, to get more reps? I like this as a new segment, frozen yep. or unfrozen, yep. which could very quickly turn into a Disney sort of segment. But either way, for now, in the soccer-specific version, no, I mean, Chris Richards needs to play, right? He's not... He's not a guaranteed inclusion in the, in the squad, even though I do think he should be if he's healthy, even if he's not playing. I think Chris Richards is good enough for the U.S. men's national team, even if he's not quite there for Crystal Palace yet. But, I mean, Adams and Pulisic don't have to worry about their spot in Qatar at all. Adams is going to be starting at the six, and, and Christian Pulisic is still the most likely starter over on the left wing, and I don't really see that changing regardless of what happens outside of an injury. Richards doesn't have that spot locked up yet, Graham, to your point, I could see him playing some right back. I, I hope I hope we don't see a lot of that. I, I just don't think Richards' profile lends it lends himself, lends itself. I kind of backed myself into a verbal corner there. I, I don't think Richards is a very good right back. He's not quick enough. He's not fluid enough. He's not going to beat you 1v1. He could be a stay-at-home right back, maybe somebody that, that just drops back into the back line in possession like we saw Reggie Cannon do some for the U.S. men's national team back in, in June. I could see that happening, but it, it kind of feels like we're overcomplicating things a little bit, and I'm guessing Patrick Vieira 
he might need to rely some on Chris Richards as a, as a fullback, but I would guess that he would see him much more as a center back than anything else. You mentioned a back three, though, Graham, and that intrigues me here, too. Vieira has toyed with a back three before, and, and Richards is very much comfortable and mobile enough, maybe not to be a full-time right back, but certainly to be an outside center back. I think he is the most complete modern center back that the U.S. has. He's not the most experienced right now. But if he can break in, and maybe there's an injury, or maybe he finds his way into the lineup because of a back three, or, or I don't know what that looks like, certainly rotated in, in during certain games, I really do like the fit for Richards at, at, at Crystal Palace just because of how Patrick Vieira plays and, and how he wants this team to play. I think there could be something here. I just hope for Richards' sake that he does get at least a, a handful of games, if not more than that, before Greg Berhalter has to decide his World Cup roster in November because I think the U.S. needs Chris Richards and, and they kind of need him to be doing something on the field to absolutely guarantee him a spot. Like I said, I think he should get one either way, but some minutes and some positive performances for Palace would go a long way to that end. A, a back three would be good. I think for, for Richards, that might be the, the optimum solution, but from Palace's point of view, I'm not entirely sure who's, sure who's playing in the in the wingback sure. positions. So. There's, there's still three weeks of the window left. Maybe Vieira brings in a couple of players who can do that, but it's maybe not the best fit for that squad. But for Richards individually, a back three would be good. Well, speaking of the window being open, we have several more Americans who have moved this summer. Uh, we're going to take a break, then we will get back to talking about Luca De La Torre, Jordan Pifak, Malik Tillman, and many more. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. Welcome back. Joe, I, I don't know if you added Luca De La Torre to this list, but I'm just going to assume that you did. Uh, I did. Now with Celta Vigo, <laughs> uh, they had a 2-1 to friendly loss to Braga uh, earlier this week or this weekend. He got 24 mi- minutes as a substitute. Uh, how excited are you about this move for De La Torre? I'm excited. So it's not going to be easy for De La Torre to get minutes. So there's a, a number of different central midfielders involved here. Some have gone from Celta Vigo, but they've also signed some other players as well. Even, I believe, earlier today, they signed a, a central midfielder. So there's going to be, there, there will be obstacles mm. for De La Torre to get serious minutes, but he's ready for the step up, certainly in terms of quality. Moving from the Eredivisie, where he was playing for a, a frankly, a, a bad Heracles team that got relegated, they weren't good last year. And, and I think De La Torre was kind of dragged down along with a lot of the other players on that team. And we, we kind of had some of those discussions last season. 
I, I love De La Torre's game. He's a modern, progressive, energetic central midfielder. I think he, he will fit very well in La Liga at a, a good level. Santa Vigo liked the ball. They liked to press. At times last year, they played with a 4-4-2 diamond. Even in preseason, I watched some of the footage. And De La Torre, coming off the bench, defended as a right-sided midfielder, which I, I don't love. I'd rather him defend centrally. But then in possession, he would shift inside as sort of this right-sided central midfielder instead of a wide midfielder. And that role fits his skill set really well. Getting the ball in the, and maybe in the right half space, driving forward, maybe a little narrower, maybe a little deeper. He can do all of that stuff. Pending a, a situation where the, league, the La Liga season starts and De La Torre is just buried on the bench week after week, which I don't think will happen. I don't think it should happen. As long as that doesn't happen, I really like this move for De La Torre because I think he's more than good enough to, to have some success in Spain. Have you seen much in terms of where he will be played? Because in that 24-minute appearance, it seemed like he was out on the right wing. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm, I'm, I'm not like... Like I don't know if that was just an experimentation. I guess is what I'm wondering, or if that was like, oh, we need like, we need him to get him some reps in the dying minutes to the right wing to right wing he goes, or if that's the thing that you would expect him to do more of this season. I I think there's a chance he defends on the right wing some. So so to back up, I saw him do that against Braga. I saw him do that against uh, the San Jose Earthquakes as well when Celta Vigo were were in San Jose for preseason for a part of their preseason. But then in both of those games, he would tuck inside in possession and play as basically a central midfielder. From what I saw. I wouldn't be shocked at all if we saw something like that if Celta Vigo wanted to defend in a 4-4-2. De La Torre is mobile enough and will work hard enough that he's actually, I think, a decent fit to do that right mid defending stuff. I'd rather him do it more centrally just because that's what he's going to do for the national team. But I would expect either defending centrally and attacking centrally or defending a little bit wider before he tucks in in possession. And all things considered, that's not the worst spot for him. All right, that makes sense. Uh, Graham, you talking about Luca De La Torre makes less sense maybe like a year ago. Did you ever envision a scenario in which you would care about uh, a relatively obscure American if you are not American? <laughs> we're we're to assuming Graham Vigo? cares now. We're yeah. assuming Graham cares now about Luca De La Torre, which is... This is true. I'm assuming he does. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Joe, I don't, I don't really care about anything now. So, uh, you know, that's <laughs> that's the disclaimer with all my opinions as as a low bar of what Did I you care say about. Now? No, I'm, I'm... you don't care about anything now. What happened? Oh no, Graham. Yeah, that abs- absolutely. Yeah, wake me up in a few years' time right. when Scotland have qualified for a there major tournament again. <laughs> um, I'm actually really looking forward to seeing Delatore and how he does Celta, Celta Vigo. A big part of that is just down to. La Liga being a league that I watch a, a lot and obviously I didn't see a whole bunch of them at Heracles and, and, and Eredivisie so really my my only exposure besides a bit of research and why scouting of uh, De La Torre mm-hmm. in, in, in Holland has been through the, the USMNT so I'm kind of interested to see how he does in a, in a, in a, dif- a different tactical setup. I watched quite a bit of Celta Vigo last season. I, I, I like them as a team. I think in theory, this should be a, a good move for him. So Celta Vigo, they kind of use, a, sometimes at 4-4-2, there's that diamond that, that, that Joe mentioned. Sometimes it's a 4-1-3-2. Sometimes it's a 4-5-1 out of possession. But there, there generally does tend to be a midfield pairing in the center of it all. And, and that pairing last season was Denis Suarez and Bryce Mendes. Bryce has now left. He signed for Real Sostad in the summer. So there is a place in this squad for, for De La Torre. I know Celta Vigo have, have brought in the 
the player from Sweden whose name I've forgotten, Svedberg. I, I have to admit, I don't know anything about him. He's an 18-year-old who played for Hammerby. They paid £5 million for him. So maybe they've got some plans for him. But De La Torre is a full international, as a player who played well in the Eredivisie last season in the top flight of, the, of Dutch football. I think you would maybe consider him to be in, ahead of the, in the pecking order. So I think there is uh, there's scope, scope for him to get a lot of minutes. I think if you look at the statistics charted by Bryce Mendes last season and De La Torre for Heracles last season, they are remarkably similar in a lot of areas in terms of tackles, so off the ball stuff, and then on the ball stuff, progressive carries, key passes. The one big difference, however, is goals. Bryce Mendes was always good for chipping in with a few goals here and there. He scored four times in La Liga last season. I think he got three in Copa del Rey as well. And that's not something you associate with Del Torre's game right now. Only got one goal in, in Eredivisie for, for Heracles last season. So maybe that's an area of his of his game that he can he can develop. But I agree with Joe. It, it's it's just interesting to see him make that step up and how he's going to handle that. Because I think it's been a good 12 months for Luca Della Torre, both for club and country. And this feels like, the, as I say, the next step for him. Viliet Svedberg, uh, if listeners are curious or wondering like me if Graham had panicked and just made up the most Swedish name he could think of on the fly, <laughs> a Swedish guy named Swedberg. They'd be like a Scotsman named Scotsman. Uh, but no, Viliet Svedberg, uh, yeah. Kill Haggis. Yeah, exactly, there we go. Uh, another American uh, who made a move that I was, I think, a bit more apprehensive about was Jordan Pifak moving to Union Berlin. Uh, they lose Taiwo Awanyi, and it seemed like Pifak was going to be a candidate to replace him and be like that that main central number nine, uh, that main goal-scoring threat for them. But I was sort of nervous because we've seen him at various levels previously, but in the Bundesliga, a different animal. Thus far, he has done just fine. He scores uh, in the German Cup uh, versus an Oberliga opponent, but then he scores the opener in a 3-1 win over Hertha Berlin this past weekend. So Union off to a good start. They get the win, and they get the win in the, the derby. But for, with that goal, Pivak, I think there's another world in which he hits that right at the goalkeeper because it's this little glancing header. It's really well taken. But I think easily that could have been right at the goalkeeper and it's saved. And maybe he doesn't score. And maybe they only win 1-0 or something like that. But because he's the one to get the opener, it ends up being this very comfortable victory. But you could also see him growing into the game. His confidence is there. His off-the-ball work was really great. And a thing that I haven't seen as much from him with the U.S. at least, is his passing range. Joe, I'm not sure how much you were able to see of this one or how much you've seen of that previously, but I saw he had one where he sort of completely threw off the uh, Hertha def- defense and had this sort of reverse pass between two defenders into the path of the left wing back for Union, who uh, was unable to score. But then he also has another really good, like like well-struck pass from about 30 yards out on the kind of right side into the middle. Uh, it's not c- controlled, and it ends up going out for, I think, a goal kick but it's still a really good pass that should have been uh, uh, handled better so I felt like his passing was on point his hold up play was on point his goal scoring was on point I am way more excited about Jordan Pifak at Union Berlin than I expected to be you're on the hype train Taylor yes sir all aboard yeah I mean <laughs> I wasn't before he, he's a player basically I came into this thinking that if Greg Berhalter were to take three number nines or three center forwards it would be Two more in the Jesus Ferreira model of can lead the line, but also very comfortable 
dropping into link up play and playing a little bit deeper and and like kind of combining a false 90 sort of thing, which is maybe a cliche or overly simplified way to explain it. And then maybe that third spot would be a more conventional target man who you could put in if you're chasing late. And so in my mind, it was basically Daryl DK versus Jordan Pifok. I think the more reps he gets in the Bundesliga, the more variety there is to his game, the more like standing he has with the U.S., or at least with me, and I'm sure that's what Greg Berhalter cares about. Yeah, he's phoning you, Taylor, for some of these picks, right? That, that yeah, was my impression. Yeah, yeah okay. You guys talk all the time. Yeah, yes. no, 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 it was. I just, I just was slow, yeah. so I, I got it now. Greg yeah, D, man. I, yeah. I mean, I mean, I I like this move for Jordan Pifak. Ending up at Union Berlin, it's a level that we can contextualize mm-hmm. much better than Switzerland. And that's not really anyone's fault, necessarily. That's just kind of the reality of, of covering and trying to cover the sport in the United States. And Graham, I'm even guessing that's true for you, being in Europe it's it's still easier to understand more about the level and figure out how it's going to adapt, how, how a player like Pifak will adapt from, from one situation to another when we have a better baseline like we do with the Bundesliga relative to Switzerland when he was at Young Boys. So I am extremely curious to see more of Jordan Pifak. It, it's been a good start. I mean, he's thriving in Europe right now. Two goals and two games with a, a good team. He's just grabbed that one of the striker spots and, and just taken it and made it his own. And he scored two just incredible goals, right? The acrobatic finish in the Pokal and then a, a really nice header to go along with Taylor. You mentioned some of that build-up, not build-up play, some of the hold-up play and a little bit of Pifak's passing. He has some nice moments and you described them really well. I thought there was a lot to like about Pifak from that opening Bundesliga game now I, I just want to see more. Okay. Yeah, I, I just want to see more. There's no but. But okay. I, I want to see more. If if the September window was today, which is kind of silly because it's August, but if it was today, PFOC would be one of the three number nines that I would I would call in if I was to be Greg Berl, Greg Berhalter. Lots of qualifiers there. But Ferreira, Vasquez, and, and PFOC are the three that I would choose. DK is injured at the moment, and yep. he seems to be injured a lot. Josh Sargent's mm-hmm. playing on the right wing for the for Norwich in the championship. Ricardo Pepe's coming off the bench for Augsburg, and he's never really looked comfortable in the Bundesliga. Haji Wright, Berhalter didn't seem to rate that much, and I, I thought Haji Wright was decent back in June, but... I mean, right now it's hard to say, it's hard for me to land on another trio that doesn't include Pifak, Vasquez, and and Jesus Ferreira. So I want to see more of Pifak. I want to see him continue to prove himself at this level. I want to see him continue to move into good spots in the attack and and help out and and maybe press a little bit too. But so far, so good for Jordan Pifak. Graham, any thoughts on on Mr. Pifak and Union Berlin? It feels like there's a lot of Twitter discourse around Jordan Peacock that yep. I don't fully understand. Not that sounds like I don't rate him. I really like Jordan Peacock. Peacock. Oh I no, think I, I understood I, I, what you meant. I understood what you meant. <laughs> when you say Twitter discourse and a certain player, I, I'm going to assume that there is a lot of angry rhetoric one way or the other. <laughs> yes, yeah. exactly. Mm-hmm. Particularly around the USMNT, yeah. that seems to be fairly consistent. But. You, you get a lot of people who have a very, very strong opinion that Jordan Pifok absolutely has to start in Qatar or it's a, or it's a, it's a catastrophe. I, I'd be fairly comfortable with Pifok's position in this squad. Right now, I think Jesus Ferreira is the, is the starting number nine because one, he's doing the business in terms of scoring goals in MLS this season and two, he's a, he's much better. That's, this is the, 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 the real point. He's, he's a better fit for Berhalter's system at this moment. But Pifok as an option as one of the as one of the the centre forwards in the on the roster for the World Cup, I don't think that's really in any doubt. I don't think he really needed the Union Berlin move to to prove that, but it certainly helps his case that things are going well for him in in, in the Bundesliga. I think it's interesting that he's playing in this three five two system where yes he is the the furthest forward attacker of the two, but 
maybe Berhalter. We've never really seen this from him so far, but maybe if he's thinking of a, of a plan B before the World Cup, just as in the last 10 minutes of a game where something isn't going well and maybe using PFOC and Ferreira as a front two, hmm. maybe he's looking at Union Berlin and how they're getting the best out of PFOC and maybe that's in his mind. So I'd be interested to see if Berhalter's got any inclination to experiment with that. But Graham. besides uh, wow. besides that, I'm, I'm fairly comfortable in, in saying besides injury, I think PFOC will be on that plane to Qatar, but he probably won't be the starting number nine. Graham just blew my mind a little bit because we do have someone like Reggie Cannon, who is still starting for Boavista, playing as a right center back in a back three. Uh, we, and that's part of the reason why I think Cannon makes the, the U.S. squad eventually is because he can play right back, but could also play a right center back if they did go with a back three. If we don't have McKinney for a while, maybe suddenly, maybe suddenly we're looking at a three-five-two. I'm not wholly against it. Wait, so. wait, sorry, hold on. So yeah. our solution to having yeah. no number nine distance yeah. himself <laughs> from the pack and having too many good wingers yeah. is to get rid of the wingers altogether yeah. and, and play two number nines. What's confusing? Pull such wing back, baby. That's what the people want. <laughs> Thomas Tuchel, what is that? You? I'm gonna you don't be sound German at all. I'm gonna be totally honest here. Kind of forgot about how many wingers we have. Kind of <laughs> forgot that that would completely remove them from the equation. I I changed my mind, Graham. Your idea is wrong. Well, it was a- only your idea, and it was all Graham and never me. <laughs> in a late game situation, I'm here for the three five two. But otherwise, not so much. Uh, Graham, since I've thrown you under the bus completely, uh, I will continue to ask you questions because I want to talk about Malik Tillman for a second, uh-huh. uh, who has moved to Rangers. I watched all of his actions this weekend in a 2-0 win over Kilmarnock. And I need to ask you this up front. How, how bad is Kilmarnock before I get way over the top excited about Malik Tillman? Not terrible okay. is my answer. So Kilmarnock hey. have, their manager is Derek McInnes, and Kilmarnock have a, a, a track record of somehow overachieving with the managers that they appoint. So Derek McInnes was at Aberdeen for a long time, maybe eight years, I think. And he was he's considered Aberdeen's best manager since Ferguson. He was in line to get the Rangers job until they went... Uh, he actually rejected the Rangers job and they went for, for someone else. He, whenever the Scotland job comes up next, he will be in the conversation to be the Scotland manager. In fact, I would put money on he, he'll probably be the next Scotland manager. So basically what I'm saying is even though Kilmarnock are not traditionally... They're nowhere near being a Scottish superpower. Derek McInnes is a very good manager and Kilmarnock will be very difficult to beat and break down this season. Um, Even though they are a promoted team, they're traditionally a Scottish Premiership side. It was a bit of an anomaly that they got relegated. So actually, Tillman playing well against Kilmarnock, I think... Look, I'm not. It's not. It's not the Champions League final. It's not the World Cup. But nonetheless, I don't think it's a. It's a terrible gauge. He he'll face poorer teams in Scottish football this season. I, with that in mind, I thought he was excellent against Kilmarnock. I thought he did many, many different things, and I will get into them more specifically than just saying he did many things. Uh, but one other question for you, Graham. Uh, I keep seeing it listed as him playing on one side or the other, depending on which site or which app you're yeah. using, in a four-three-three, And that is not quite where I saw him operating most of the time. So if you could, like, you're much more familiar with Rangers than, Mm -hmm. at the very least, I am. What is their usual sort of formation and approach? So under Van Bronckhorst, it has been a 4-2-3-1. 
And on the left side, they tend to use Ryan Kent, who is a, is, is a traditional winger. He's been out recently with through injury, but he's actually, just as we're recording, Rangers are preparing to play uh, their most important match, match of the season, a Champions League qualifier with it, where they lost the first leg 2-0. Kent's back in the squad and Tillman is in that team as well. So he's very quickly become a first team starter for Rangers. On paper, I would say predominantly he's been on the right side of that 4-2-3-1. But he is very much playing the Joe Aribo role. So Joe Aribo left Rangers to go to Southampton in the summer. And Joe Aribo was just so versatile that, to be honest, putting him in on a position on a tactical chart didn't really do him justice because he had the freedom to go everywhere. It was up to him to drop deep, drive the ball forward. He was um, a very good ball carrier. He would dribble past opponents. He would open up space. And yes, he would occasionally drift out to the right. But he would even go over to the left and he would link up with Ryan Kent. And and basically the thing with Rangers is they've got this right back called James Tavernier who has a whole right side. He's a, he's a very modern fullback. He gets loads of goals, loads of assists. He takes the penalties. So Tillman, if he's positioned out on that right side, he does have the freedom to basically vacate that right side because it suits James Tavernier to, to have that whole, that whole flank to himself. So... For me, it's very surprising to see a new signing come into a team and basically just given a free role. But that's kind of what Malik Tillman has been given by Van Bronckhorst. And he has very quickly become, a, as I say, an important player for Rangers. And and I, I just think, I'm glad we've had that conversation. I'm glad we've had all those qualifiers and I have a better understanding of things. Because I, I still remain incredibly excited about this move for him and about what he could be for the United States. Because in this game against Kilmarnock, uh, who were very defensive, and I think Rangers, I think, forgive me, Graham, if you've already said this, I think they had something like 73% of possession or something ridiculous yeah, along those right. lines. But he was really good on the ball, uh, really clever in what he was trying to do, capable of carrying it forward, capable, capable of riding challenges, but also looked for quick little one-twos. He looked to play it quickly. A couple times, maybe if he plays it a little bit faster, Rangers get a goal or get uh, a clearer chance. But aside from that, I also just thought his, his awareness, his spatial awareness was better than I had seen when he was playing with the U.S. and certainly when I'd seen him in the limited capacity I had with Bayern Munich. Um, I thought he handled the physicality uh, when, when he needed to pretty well. It was, it was a type of performance that just kind of made me turn my head a little bit and think like, oh, th- there's more to his game than I thought. And this was a player that I thought maybe Qatar would come too quickly if there are some injuries, if he adds some versatility, maybe we see him in the September friendlies. Joe, this is a player that I feel like we, we might end up seeing in Qatar if the roster breaks a certain way, if there's some openings, and if he continues to develop. Perhaps I am too hyped on him, so I, I turn to you to either agree and get me even more hyped or to cool me down just a little bit. Oh, man, like I wish I didn't have to do this. I wish I didn't have to do this. If there's a couple injuries, I think we could see Malik Tillman. Outside mm-hmm. of that, I have a really hard time imagining it. I thought he looked a little off the pace back in June. Not that he was bad, mm-hmm. but I don't think he was anything special, particularly in June. But I agree with you, Taylor. Yeah, I think I'd he's looked very good for Rangers. I think he's looked very good, and that, that applies to both the Champions League qualifier that he started in and to some of the minutes he's gotten in the league. I believe he's come off the bench once and started once, and, and I think he's had some good moments. But it, it is just going to be a process, like with Jordan Pifak, of proving himself. You know, to, to really get onto a World Cup roster, I think you you need to be showing things consistently especially if you're in a league like Major League Soccer or in a league like the Scottish Premiership, right, where there is just not as much quality as, say, the Bundesliga or the Premier League with or La Liga, other leagues that we've already talked about. Tillman's going to have to show this over 
the, over an extended period of time. And we're, we're just at the beginning of that right now. Adding some goals and assists would be really valuable for him and showing that end product would be great. The, 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 there are some strong signs of growth, but it's just too early for me to say Qatar. I, I kind of thought 2026 back when we saw Tillman play in June. I haven't changed my mind on that yet. But I mean, hey, another month and a half or so of really strong performances, maybe a, a September appearance although I'm not so sure he'll get that. But either way, good performances between now and the World Cup would go a long way towards changing that timeline. Graham, any thoughts from you on Tillman or areas that you've seen that maybe he could improve uh, to help Rangers, obviously, more this season, but also to improve his yeah. standing with Berhalter? So obviously, it's, he's only played, I think, three or four games for Rangers. And actually, it's a little bit inconvenient because I think his biggest test will come tonight right so now, by the time yeah. this podcast is out the, we'll probably know Hibbley. a lot more about Malik Tillman because he's playing a Champions League qualifier against a good standard of, of team Union from 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 Belgium and the thing about Union is they've got a 2-0 lead I expect they'll come to Rangers and they'll probably sit quite deep and try and protect what they have and that's where a player like Malik Tillman is going to be very important so we might we might know a little bit more over the next few hours but from what I've seen of him so far I, I would just like a little bit more of a final product I don't think he has and I don't want to reduce everything to fantasy football talking points but I, I don't think he's registered a goal or assist yet for Rangers as I say three games but if there's one area that I, I think um, he could improve it's maybe just turning some of those yeah. good moments and getting into dangerous areas of the pitch into actually something that affects the scoreline yeah and that's where that's where I really do think especially against in the in the Scottish League when they do come up against teams that are going to be more defensive or even tonight against uh, Union Saint. Oh boy, I, I bit off more than I, I think. Can do with I that think one. it's Union of Belgium. Union of Belgium. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Let's just <laughs> yeah. go with that. It's safer. Much safer. Um, uh, yeah, I skipped yeah, it. Like he, like, like I said, there's the one. I wish I could remember. I didn't write down the minute. Uh, but it, it really is. He he reads uh, the build out well from Kilmarnock. He intercepts the ball and with his first touch and with his second, he could have. He picks his head up, he sees the runner, and I think he could have played that ball right away, and it would have put the number nine in on goal. Uh, who who is Rangers uh, number nine? So it was either Antonio Cholak or it was Morelos, depending on what part of the match it was. It was uh, Cholak. Uh, he 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 was there and he had made the run. And there's just another touch from Til- from Tillman that then kills that move. I think uh, Cholak was then offside. It ends up with Tillman trying to do something. He can't get a shot off. He has to cut it back and then he lays it off. But just like that sort of decisiveness, maybe if he can elevate that performance, then that will be uh, the difference maker. But I remain excited, Joe. I appreciate the reality check, though. Uh, um, anything else on Malik Tillman or maybe James Sands playing as a center back before we we keep it moving? Yeah, James, James Sands is forcing his way into the Rangers Rangers lineup. Some of that is down to injury. John Suter is out with injury uh, with an injury, and so is uh, Philip Hollander. And I think Hollander in particular will be he'll come back into the lineup. So maybe Sands goes back to the bench. But at the moment, Van Bronckhorst seems pretty high on using him as a as a center back, having him push into the midfield, which then then allows. Um, a central midfielder like John Lundstrom to get a little bit further forward. So yeah, Sands, for the first time in his Rangers career, it feels like he's getting regular game time and an opportunity to to show what he can do. And Joe knew it all along. Joe, you never doubted this move, right? Were, were you in on the Sands move? Oh yeah, in in on it from day one, baby. <laughs> <laughs> all right, well, maybe some moves that have me feeling a little bit more uncertain are going to be discussed next first one more break we're going a little bit long so we're going to talk about three more americans who have moved in the window then some other players that we are intrigued by for whatever reason back very soon looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone luckily with 24 7 us-based live customer service from discover everyone has the option to talk to a real person 
anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. All right, and now we come to goalkeepers. Joe, there was a time when I thought, no matter what, the U.S. has at least two very good goalkeepers, and we know that regardless of who starts, we're going to be okay. I'm less confident of that than I think I've ever (laughs) been. Welcome. Matt Turner at Arsenal, uh, we don't... We assume will not be the starter, barring injury. Zach Steffen at Middlesbrough are having some He mistakes. has been frozen. I'm pretty sure that's what's <laughs> happening. He's in the kryptonite now until November. Now it's kryptonite. It's carbonite kryptonite. That makes him even less superpowered. Crypt- kryptonite, yeah, not kryptonite. Sorry. <laughs> I didn't even catch carbonite. that. <laughs> uh, and we've got Ethan Horvath at Luton Town. Ethan Horvath has started uh, their first two games of the season. I think he's only let in one goal in those two games. So right now, Ethan Horvath, uh, nailed on starter at the World Cup. Maybe I'm jumping to conclusions. Joe, how are you feeling about this overall goalkeeper situation? I mean, I, I don't feel great about yeah. it. I don't, yeah. I don't think I feel great about it. I also don't know that I'm, I'm really all that bent out of shape about all it. Right. So there's, there's parts that I do like and parts that I don't like. So in terms of the U.S. men's national team, not diving into how, how cool it must be for Matt Turner to go and, and make that move over to Arsenal, and I think that's a big moment for him. Setting that perspective aside, because I think we kind of have to here for this conversation, I don't love that he's not playing at Arsenal, but I do have more faith in someone like Matt Turner than I would in almost any other goalkeeper to be able to turn it on when he needs to for the national team. And, and hopefully that comes in September because of how consistently we've seen him perform for the New England Revolution for the last three, four seasons over in Major League Soccer. So I don't love that move. I, I probably would have rather seen him stay at, at New England. But Greg, Berl- Greg Berlter said this before. You know, you just kind of have to be excited for Turner, and you can't really dive any deeper than that on this move. As far as Zach Steffen goes, I love that we're getting a chance to see him play because we just haven't gotten that yep. with any regularity since he was at Dusseldorf in the Bundesliga back when he was first making his move over to Europe from City. So getting to see Zach Steffen play is a really valuable experience because we've seen him play, what, 20 games? Maybe a little bit more over the last two years? Maybe, maybe it's closer to 24, but it's not much. And I think we are already learning and, and seeing more of what I've kind of talked about, and I'm not the only one, so I'm not trying to take credit for this, but seeing more of the issues that are a part of Zach Steffen's game and against, what was it, QPR over the weekend? Yeah. We saw one of those issues bad, bad. come to light, right? So, I mean, this went, it didn't go viral on Twitter, but it was, it was popping around a little bit on Twitter of Zach Steffen just absolutely whiffing on a ball in, in his box and, and giving up a goal. It's a brutal moment. Go go watch it if you can find it. Not to like, you know, poke fun at Zach Steffen. I'm not trying to do that. But this is a has been a reality of his game that he struggles to command his box and he has not been a good shot stopper for the US men's national team, and he's not been a good shot stopper when he was back with the Columbus crew. He was he was fine at that, maybe a little below average. And then his distribution was sort of what was getting him a name inside of U.S. soccer circles. And I'd wager that that's kind of what got him a move to Manchester City. And even that is, I think, a a questionable advantage. Maybe not even really that big of an advantage when you look at his game relative to someone like Matt Turner. So I I like that we're seeing Zach Steffen play. I like that we're seeing his game tested every week, at least for as long as he has that starting job. But 
I, I don't think folks will be surprised at this point to hear me say I'm, I'm not convinced by Zach Steffen. That's not a, a reality as of this weekend, this past weekend for me, when he makes that howler against QPR. That's been a theme for me over the last year or two years now. And so I do hope sort of we get this whole thing settled. Maybe it's Ethan Horvath having a really good performance, string of performances of Luton Town. Maybe it's somebody in MLS coming up and, and really performing well. But at, at this point, it's not really a Stefan versus Turner thing for me. It's kind of a Turner versus Horvath versus Johnson thing. And then maybe we see Stefan fill in that, that spot. I don't think Greg Baralter thinks that. Maybe that will change. Maybe we'll get a better indication in September. But we're, we're getting some clarity with this goalkeeper situation, which yeah. I do think is useful. To, to look on the bright side of that Stefan Stefan whiff against QPR, and that, that might not have gone viral on Twitter, but it certainly went viral in our Slack chat uh, with the <laughs> point of much discussion. Um, but let's look on the bright side. This is why Zach Stefan made this move. He's been sent to the championship precisely so he encounters these sort of challenges, these physical challenges. And I went and looked for some statistics, and I found a study that said... It's a few years old, but I, I can imagine it's still relevant. It said that um, teams in the championship, defending teams are more likely to face between four and five crosses into the box per game than in the Premier League. And that has always been a weakness of Zach Steffen's game. And sure, maybe that doesn't benefit Middlesbrough this season. Maybe there's a few more moments like that. And maybe it doesn't even benefit Steffen in the build-up to the World Cup. Maybe there's a few mistakes, too many, and Berhalter changes his mind and turners the, the starting goalkeeper for the World Cup. But in terms of his career and his development, this is why he's been sent to the Championship. The idea is that it'll help him build up his physicality, that eventually he will get used to these challenges. And the other positive is that Chris Wilder is the manager that Zach Steffen is playing for at Middlesbrough. And he is a coach, as we saw in the Premier League with, with uh, Sheffield United, he is a coach who likes his goalkeepers to play out from the back. This is also, as we all know, what Berhalter likes about Stefan. He believes he's he's got better distribution. So if he is allowed to play his natural game and also is tested in a way that he hasn't been before, in the end, there is a chance that you have a more rounded goalkeeper coming out of the other side. So that that's the bright side, and, and maybe that's the plan from Manchester City, and that's why he's been sent to the Championship in the first place. How much do you think the World Cup impacts some of these moves because like Joe you mentioned there Matt Turner Greg, Greg Berhalter basically you got to be okay with it you got to be happy for him and I think Matt Turner has been regularly starting for New England certainly more so than than Zach Steffen has been starting for Manchester City so that one aside it feels like Sean Johnson is pretty stable we know what we're getting from Sean Johnson we know he's going to be a regular starter in Major League Soccer but I do wonder if Steffen and Horvath basically had chats with Berhalter that were along the lines of if you're not starting for your club, if yeah. Ethan Horvath, if you're getting promoted to the Premier League and then you are the number three goalkeeper at Nottingham Forest and Zach Steffen, if you're not getting any games other than the League Cup, I don't know how I can make an argument to start you. I wonder how much the U.S. factors into those two loan moves. I'm sure it factors in. I I'm very confident that that's a part of this whole thing. If you're Zach Steffen, you want to go improve yourself. You don't want to give a chance. You don't want to give Turner or Horvath or Johnson or whoever and maybe Gaga Slanina coming onto the scene late, although I don't think that's going to happen. You don't want to give anybody else a chance. You want to go and, and you believe in yourself and you think, all right, I'm going to go to Millsborough and I'm going to play well and I'm going to just lock down that starting spot for Qatar. I I do not know that it's going to play out that way, but if I'm Stefan, that's that's probably the mindset I am, I'm having and I'm guessing that's the tone that's coming from U.S. soccer and coming from Greg Berhalter. I don't know that that's the case, but if you're Horvath or Stefan, yeah, go and play in the championship, get minutes, get reps, show what you can do. 
and hope that you perform well enough to get on the plane to guitar. And I, I don't know and that it's going to be both of those players on the plane to guitar, but I, I would be shocked if at least one of them isn't on that plane. And and that's why the, the Matt Turner move is so interesting as well, because basically Turner and Stefan have Swip, switched swashed, yeah. places. Where, where Turner now, you know, Stefan, and it really does add a, an interesting wrinkle to the whole situation where Turner could feasibly benefit by just doing nothing, by having a solid season or a few seasons with the Revs and a few solid performances with the USMNT. And that is the most recent memory of him. And if Stefan doesn't get on so well at Borough, then as I say, maybe it benefits him. Basically, Turner, it's it's the Joe Biden ploy, <laughs> isn't it? Or the, or the Keir Starmer ploy in the UK where you don't really offer much yourself, but you're counting on the other guy being worse than you to get the job full time. That's basically what Matt Turner's doing now. What uh, Timmy Chandler did for Frankfurt this past weekend, he's on the bench as they get smashed by Bayern Munich. It's like, hey, it wasn't me who did that. I wasn't involved in that one. All right, all right. I mean, Matt Turner's still the only one who has the bravery to play for the Richmond Kickers. So right now, until the other two do that, I think Matt Turner is uh, the number one heading into Qatar. Uh, So we'll keep an eye on what happens with remaining players who could be on the move. But for now, we've talked about plenty of players who have swapped clubs. We've got a few more who have either not moved or have not yet moved. Uh, I wanted to mention John Brooks, chief among them, still without a club. And I'm starting to feel like if ever there were a backing to why Burhalter didn't call him in, the lack of clubs coming in for John Brooks is an argument in favor of that, I think. Because from the people I've talked to and from what I've read, there has not really been much interest. There has not been much movement on that front when it comes to John Brooks getting a club in Germany or in England or elsewhere. So uh, that is one that I'm assuming he will move at some point. I'm assuming he will sign at some point and will be playing club soccer this season. But for now, that he has not yet and that he's gone from starting in the Bundesliga for Wolfsburg to not being signed... Uh, I, I just feel like maybe that's worth noting. That's worth noting. Uh, Joe, anything on John Brooks or any other players you'd like to mention at this point instead of John Brooks? Sure, I'll, I'll go to somebody who I don't think is going to be moving. Actually, a, a pair of folks that I, mm-hmm. I don't think is going to be moving anytime soon from either of their clubs, but are two young central midfielders that I, I think will actually both be playing some this season in that spot. One is Richie Ledesma, who played the second half for PSV in their 4-1 win over FC MN in their first Eredivisie game of the season. That was over the weekend. He he looked pretty aggressive, played a little deeper in midfield than, than maybe we're used to as that number 10. But I'm just happy to see him playing at all. Ruben Nisselroy in his first season as PSV first team manager, He's played uh, Ledesma a couple of games now. Ledesma also played 10 minutes off the bench in the Johan Cruyff Shield against Ajax, which was two weekends ago. In that game, he did play as, as more of a number 10. He hasn't been super involved in the attack yet, but again, baby steps for Ledesma. He's healthy at the moment. He's getting some minutes. That's a great thing. I, I love watching Richie Ledesma play soccer, and I'm excited to hopefully get to see him do more of that in the Netherlands this year as that attacking-minded midfielder or, or an option in, in, in that attacking midfield spot for PSV. So that's one. The other one is Yunus Musa. Another shift of sorts here. So in in the past, Valencia last season was managed by Jose Bordelas, who played a very defensive style, a lot of 4-4-2, and Yunus Musa played a huge chunk of that season for Valencia when he was on the field as a right-sided midfielder, doing kind of what I talked about with De La Torre earlier, but without the fun part of actually coming inside all that much. Yeah, you would drift in occasionally, but Musa just basically played as a, as a right midfielder in a 4-4-2, and he moved up and down that right side. He defended a lot and didn't get that many touches in the attack, spare for an occasional Musa maneuver. Now it's General Gattuso who's in charge of Valencia, and he's actually playing Musa as a central midfielder, which I love. Taylor, I've been waiting for this. Graham, I've been waiting for this to happen 
kind of since Musa burst onto the scene with the U.S. men's national team back in, what, November of 2020? So it's almost been two full years now. We've been waiting for him to make that transition to being a full-time central midfielder at club level. It seems like this is the year that's going to happen. And I've kind of always thought that whatever year that is, that's the year that Musa is going to go off, that he's going to actually ex- explode and his star is really going to shoot up. His stock's going to shoot up. I'm not trying to be hyperbolic. I think this could be the year that Yunus Musa goes supernova. I think he's that good. I think he has that much talent. And just getting, hopefully, 2,000 minutes, it's not going to be easy. There, there's competition for spots. But I think he has a starting job ready to go for Valencia in La Liga this season and a Valencia team that should be more fun. This could be the year of Yunus Musa. And there aren't many sentences I could say, fellas, that make me more excited than that one. <laughs> I, I definitely agree that Valencia are going to be a lot more fun this season and their approach should definitely suit Musa more, just from the fact that even on the ball when Musa was allowed to carry it for a little bit, it felt like Bordalassi's system restricted how much he could he could do that, and Gattuso was not going to do that. To the same extent, my concern with Valencia and Gattuso is that it's Valencia and Gattuso, yeah. and the yeah, fact yeah. that Gattuso could flame out and be out of that club in a matter of weeks, and then you don't know what's coming in in his place. So that, that would be my concern, is Valencia just inherently is a very chaotic and volatile club, and so it's difficult for Musa to build anything that lasts a, a number of seasons because basically season on season, they have a new manager every time. Remember that eight minutes when Gattuso was going to be the Tottenham manager and then everybody yeah. realized like, oh no, that's a terrible idea. And that didn't happen. Yeah, I think that there's reasons why it could go poorly, but I think, Joe, you're right. There's reasons why it could be the year of Musa. We're going to win the World Cup, is I guess what I'm trying to say. Uh, Daryl DK, I was excited to talk about uh, back playing for West Brom. Until I realized that he was injured. Thank you, Joe, for uh, for bringing me back to reality with that one. Uh, so I guess we'll just have to keep an eye on Daryl DK as he hopefully gets fitness and then starts playing regularly and hopes start uh, and we would hope start scoring goals. But for now, Jordan Peefock uh, is uh, the one true faith as we move towards uh, having a number nine who can uh, do things in front of goal. Uh, but a player Brandon that... Vasquez. Oh, of course, I'm Brandon Vasquez. Sorry about that. Yes, 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 yes. Uh, uh, Jordan Peefock is not at MLS All-Star right now. There's two other players who are, so there you go, right there. Yeah, that there's levels be. to this, baby. There's <laughs> levels to this. Uh, Anthony Robinson, also not an MLS All-Star, but uh, I won't hold that against him because what he did this past weekend for Fulham was pretty exciting. Uh, anytime... A defender can still contribute to the attack and do attacking things, but also really limit the effectiveness of Mohamed Salah. I think yeah. you've, you've got to take note. Salah did score against Fulham. He scores the equalizer uh, in the 2-2 two two draw, but Robinson not responsible for him on that one. Robinson not directly at fault. And other than that one, tracked him everywhere, hassled him, had a few times when he won possession. The one I really liked was his awareness to... To cover that long diagonal that Liverpool kept looking for, it was Van Dyke trying to hit it over the top to Salah, and it never really came off. I think one time Salah brings it down, and even there he then tries to beat Robinson for pace. Robinson gets position and wins the ball. The other two times it's cut out by Robinson. So I think to have the defensive side of his game be what it was against Liverpool, but then to still be really aggressive in his attacking play. A couple times his crossing was still sort of erratic. One time I think he slams it into the first defender. One time it might have gone out for a throw-in, but two good crosses in there, so uh, that's something to be happy about. Anthony Robinson is one who I think if he has 
a, a strong season uh, if Fulham continue to do what they're doing and they stay up. I won't be surprised if Anthony Robinson starts getting some attention, maybe in January, if he has a strong World Cup, maybe next summer uh, from a, a, a bigger club. But I'm pretty excited for all things Robinson and Tim Ream, to a lesser extent. He has the header that starts the attack that leads to the uh, opener for, for Fulham in this game and I think is, is an ever-present fixture so far for Fulham. We'll see if, as the season goes on, he is more of a veteran, if I want to put it gently. So I don't know if he will end up being the out-and-out starter, but he's one who, if he continues to play well in the Premier League, I, I do think maybe Burhalter has a look, has a talk. Maybe he just doesn't quite fit what they're doing. But uh, Joe, I'm going to go out on a limb and say that if we are going to have a Fulham, play, Fulham player playing for the U.S. at the World Cup, it's probably going to be Anthony Robinson and not Tim Ream. If, there's, if we have to pick between the two, yes, that's absolutely the answer. <laughs> Bold I wouldn't by me, I know. I wouldn't be shocked to see Tim Ream. Okay, I, I would be pretty surprised, but yeah. I, I wouldn't be completely floored by that. I could see it happening. I don't think it's that likely, but I, I do think Anthony Robinson had an excellent game over the weekend against Liverpool. And, and Taylor, to your point about maybe bigger clubs being in for him, I, I, I don't want to go that far just yet, but that has happened before. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, Milan, he was yeah. relatively close to moving to Milan. There was some issues there that, that didn't allow that move to actually happen, but... You know, a season in the spotlight in the Premier League with a World Cup in yep. between with a, a player like Robinson that seems to play every single minute of every single game, teams could do a lot worse than looking for a, a durable left back like that. So, yeah. And he will he will not, I don't think this is an exaggeration at all, he will not face a tougher test than the one he faced on Saturday against Liverpool where that right side is Trent Alexander-Arnold and Mohamed Salah. There's not a stronger right side in, in world football. So the fact that he played so well the biggest compliment I can I can pay him is that Liverpool changed their approach on that right side where they bring on Darwin Nunes they push Salah out wide a little bit more and yes Liverpool started to have a little bit more joy at that point but to be fair to Andy Robinson he was having to deal with Trent Alexander-Arnold and then Liverpool had a front three of Nunes, Luis Diaz and Mohamed Salah and Fulham still got a draw out of that game and I don't think he did anything wrong so absolutely, I think that was a, a brilliant way for him to start the season. And it's, it's a strange scenario where Anthony Robinson kind of at this point maybe looks like the best defender that the USMNT has out of, yeah. the, out of the starting four that you would say in Qatar. And if you cast your mind all the way back to the, the start of the qualification cycle where that position was not nailed down for him at all. It, it's, his development has been pretty dramatic, so it wouldn't be surpri- surprising to me if that continues in the Premier League this season. Uh, another one to keep an eye on, or maybe two more. I mentioned Reggie Cannon previously, but he is starting for Boavista. They got to win this weekend, starting at right center back in a back three. And I think that versatility will keep him in Burhalter's uh, plans, or at the very least in that conversation. And we would assume Serginho Dest will be there. We would assume DeAndre Yedlin will continue to be there, uh, more so for his kind of veteran presence, locker room ability, leadership ability, and then also playing ability as well. But that could be awkward because Joe Scally uh, is starting. We weren't sure if that would be the case. Even his manager said he wasn't sure who would start it right back, but he did for Gladbach this past weekend. If we have Joe Scally starting most games in the Bundesliga, I don't know how you keep him out, but I also don't know if we need four right backs. So maybe we end up seeing Scali get a little bit of time at left back for Gladbach, and that would that would be helpful in giving us some depth on that side. Can Can you imagine England versus the USA at the World Cup with the USA having four right backs <laughs> and England also having all the right backs? It'll be like a right back convention. There'll be lanyards and everything. 
If if the United States and Scotland combine, we've got right back and left back covered. Is that safe to say? This is what I've been saying. We can we can, we can combine do we can and do beat it. England together. And yet none of us have a number nine. Uh, <laughs> I feel True. Like I got scared saying that. I felt like Graham was going to take issue. Uh, actually, on that front, one more name that I'm sure we will be talking about as the season goes on. Uh, just keep an eye on uh, Florin Balogun. Uh, has moved to Ream. Oh, yeah. Uh, they lost 4-1 to to Marseille this weekend. He came on I as watched a sub. That game. But scored. Graham, watched that game. Graham, any thoughts on the goal scorer who could play as a number nine for the United States and maybe could get a look in those September friendlies? Yeah, I, th- I thought he he looked decent. Obviously, we only got a, a glimpse of what he can do, and at the point that that Marseille were at in that performance, it kind of felt like they were they were turning the screw yeah, on 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 Rem maybe, a little maybe. bit. They, they their their second half was was quite impressive. Uh, Luis Suarez, not that one. Another Luis Suarez comes on and, and scores a couple to make this pretty pretty flattering in the end. But Balogun, I liked what I saw from him. Quick feet, very nimble, versatile. Seemed to be covering a lot of ground. So yeah, I, th- I think he's certainly certainly one to watch. He was in the championship, I think, on loan last season. So a move in league on this season feels like. A uh, step up, but not such a step up that he's. It's going to crush him. It feels like something he can handle. So I, I am looking forward to to seeing how he does. Oh, that's cool. So it's it's like a it's a realistic step, and then we can gauge if he was ready for that Indeed. one. I like that one. So it's not quite the like maybe three tiers above where he was, and he's not starting. Yeah, that's about yeah, what we so progression. Okay, cool. Yay for natural progression. Well said, Graham. Uh, and if it doesn't go well, or maybe if it does really go well. Then we'll put him in Carbonite, too, just so we know that he's informed and everything's good. <laughs> uh, we'll figure out what other players we need uh, to do that, too, as we keep talking about Americans as we get closer to the World Cup, which felt a long ways away, maybe when last time we did one of these shows, which was yeah. at the end of the season. Now, suddenly, World Cup looming. I'm really excited to get to talk about more Americans. Graham, you are obviously an honorary uh, USMNT supporter and uh, rooter for her, so I look forward to you cheering them on at the World Cup. We'll get you a US jersey and, and uh, I don't know, like a, yes. uh, a red, white, and blue hat or something. We'll make you full-on tacky American. Yes, of course. That's what you have to do. Excellent. I look forward to it. Thank uh, you, Taylor. So, Graham, thank you very much for all your contributions today. Thank you. Joe Lowry, you are also welcome to paint your face and wear an yes. ostentatious hat and everything else. Uh, I would say maybe don't do that as you attend uh, MLS media events. I'm not sure how kindly they will look upon that. But thank you, Joe, visor. for all your contributions today. <laughs> yeah, just wear that visor. Yeah, you got it. And thank you, Taylor. <laughs> Listeners, thank you all so much for sticking with us. Uh, many more shows to come this week. But for now, we'll talk to you soon. <laughs> 